All right, so good evening, afternoon, whatever it is for you. Evening, everyone. Uh, welcome. This is Twist Gaming, where you get to play board games with us. This is the Great Game Hunter podcast, where we go through the ins and outs of Kingdom Death Monster, uh, the various monsters, hunts, and events that you're going to be uh, seeing throughout that, and the strategy involved with it. But first off, who are we? I am Matt, and I am joined here with Josh. Say hi, Josh. Hello, everyone. And none other than Fen. Say hi, Fen. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, depending on your regional equivalent. Hello. That was very well handled. Very good. Yeah. I've always meant to open my videos with that, but uh, never really got round to it. It'll probably happen once I start recording sessions of playing ahead. When 1.5 is out. So first up, we have to point out that uh, this stream and all of this week's streams are sponsored by the Legend of Korra Pro Bending Arena by IDW, as well as Champions of Hara by Greenbrier Games. Uh, so go check those out. They're both live on Kickstarter right now. Uh, so first up, let's get a brief recap of what happened last time on uh, the Great Game Hunters podcast. Uh, Josh or Fen, do you guys want to do a brief recap on that? Uh, we talked about Gen Con and 1.5 and what we saw coming up and uh, all the little tidbits we got, which we're excited for. Yes, and before that, we talked about the gore, which I was super excited for. I think we all absolutely love the gore, that's for sure. Yep, I love it so much I have two. All right, so this week, or this episode, however you want to look at it, uh, we're going to be doing uh, one of the other expansion monsters, and the first half of it at least, and this is going to be Spidiculous. Mm -hmm. So, first and foremost, how do you feel about just the monster itself? Uh, Be it the design, uh, the the background of it. We'll, We'll use this as a segue to jump into the background of the monster. Who are you asking, me or Josh first? How about you, Fen? Well, I gotta say, like, physically, I love the design of the monster. On my Instagram, there's a picture of it sat in, a, in my bathtub, which I did to freak out my dad. Worked. Um, I think it's great. It looks fantastic. I love the little spiderlings, the way they echo the big spidiculous. I, uh, I, I, I like that. I like the idea of this. It's based on, um, partially on, physically on the Harvestman, um, which I think you guys might call a daddy long legs. Um, not sure. In America? In the US? Yeah, uh, the, uh, the daddy long legs spider. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we have the daddy long legs is also the crane fly for us. The Harvestman is what this is physically based on. Um, but, uh, yeah, the, uh, the, um, the, the, the actual in game, applications of it it's kind of it feels like maybe they had one plan to do with it and then they sort of had to dial things back because mechanically the model is sort of optional uh, i've heard people talk about just using the base um yeah and i noticed that as well just because yeah. the model itself is a little on the i don't know if cumbersome is the right word to say but it's uh definitely a little hard to maneuver it around the board with its uh spindly little legs that it's got on there yeah yeah it is it's kind of like that that's sort of a bit of an issue um thematically some of it i love some of it i really don't like um i do feel the content you get in this expansion is not up to the price i mean this is the 
third most expensive expansion, and basically it has less content than the Gorm, so that is an issue for me. Um, but uh, I have a kind of hate, not quite so hate relationship with Spidiculous. Um, there is some stuff in it I really like and really enjoy. Um, and as I commented a little earlier on, I actually think the showdown is really good. Genuinely, really, really good. So, um, mixed, mixed opinions. Uh, how about you, Josh? I mean, his giant size is the biggest pain in the butt to store in my house. He sits on top of the bookshelf because he doesn't fit on a shelf. Um, and I love the like I love the giant design of him. I just wish it was more, used more in the board. I like like I know we're going to talk about it, but like you, as you hack off his legs, I wish you had to be at a leg to hack it off. And then once you did, you put a token there, be like, all right, this leg's already been hacked off. You can't hit here anymore and go somewhere else. I, like I would have loved like taking this giant monster and actually using it instead of like oh yeah. this is just like a display piece. Um, it is uh, because. It could have been really cool if something was different like that, but uh, the few times I fought him, he's fun. I like the whole hacking off the legs thing and and all that. We'll talk about it, but like overall, I think he's interesting. But he is a little bit more shallow than some of the other expansions, I think. So I agree with you. Yeah. Uh, there's law wise. This is one of the monsters I kind of know the least about because the expansion is itself a bit kind of empty and shallow. Uh, it's sort of, they're, they're clearly sentient and they tend to live, it appears to be in colonies or groups of some kind. Um, they will, uh, they're, they're in for acts of revenge. Um, they're quite malicious and nasty uh, and able to turn themselves invisible by vibrations which is a reference to a type of spider that hunts other spiders and it vibrates itself perfectly at a frequency that the um its prey can't detect it while it moves along the webs so i mean this is part of adam spending his time reading and taking inspiration from nature that's really cool i didn't know that that was a thing and having that little tidbit of information makes it a little bit more interesting there yeah yeah it is um, they obviously, uh, produce silk, which we know that, and, um, they don't need their legs for that, which we'll get into later. They have this whole, uh, l- extension of the Gorm lure thing, but instead of a, a third testicle, they, uh, will use, um, a survivor as their lure, um, to try and draw others out, which is a bit like Will-O-The-Wisp kind of stuff, you know, um, reanimated corpses and things along those lines. Um, and they do live in the Abyssal Woods. They're going to be a part of the Abyssal Woods expansion. I'm very hopeful that they will get a better integration in, as we'll talk about when we get into it. Um, uh, but maybe we'll get more lore and understanding of them, of, of Spidiculous when we explore the Abyssal Woods. Because they kind of, they don't really sit in the Plain of Stone Faces, they sit nearby and stalk out across it. Menace settlements. So that's kind of, you know, what I know about them. They're um, nasty, horrible, really, really unpleasant, vicious, but also they're quite sort of social um, creatures within their own kind. So they fit in just lovely into the rest of the Kingdom Death environment there. I think they're 
probably nastier than most of the other things in the Kingdom Death environment. I think maybe we'll see the Oblivion Mosquito sit around the same level of just maliciousness and spite. Um, but yeah, they, they, they are, I, I think, probably the most horrible of all of the creatures, apart from maybe the Sunstalker, which we will talk about in the future. All right. Right, so where do we see this spider first? I believe we get led into it by uh, a story event, correct? Uh, yeah, so um, first of all, Spiriculus has a choice. You can add it into a campaign anywhere you like, the same way you add any other expansion. Or you can add it in, and the recommended way is to add it in and replace endless screams with young rivals, which means that you set up nearer your settlement nearer to the abyssal woods, where the antelopes they don't want to go near there because they don't go near Spidiculus. And I think as well they don't go near the abyssal woods because of the goblin, because of the history between the goblin and the hand and screaming antelope. So there is kind of that. But anyway. Uh, the recommended way to play in the rule book is to remove the antelope and add Spidiculus instead. So you want to bear that in mind when we look at it go ahead, going ahead. And they will turn up in Lantern Year 2 when the Endless Screams would normally happen with the event Young Rivals. Which, uh, Josh, do you have that there? Could you run us through it? Yeah, I got that here. So, one day one of the boys did not return from a hunt. The remaining boy felt no victory over his rival. Hang on. Hang on, you're one page too far ahead. Sorry, I opened up the book. One page. That's okay. All right, start that over. Uh, once there was two boys, they argued about everything. Uh, as the boys grew into men, their empathy... I can't pronounce that word. I am horrible at this. Empathy bloomed into rivalry with each hard-earned battle scar they sought to outdo each other. One day, one of the boys did not return from a hunt. They re- Remaining boy felt no victory over his rival, only the loss of a friend. Unable to find him in the world, he refused to leave his bed, hoping to see him in his dreams. Time passed until one day he felt a strange vibration. Then he heard the familiar voice of his lost friend just outside his hovel. He rushed outside, only to see the decaying body of his friend swaying awkwardly in the air. Horrified, he heard a dry rasping that could only be a laugh. For a moment, the monster was revealed before it vanished in dark, whisking the corpse puppet away. Okay, so mechanically, what you have to do here is you nominate two male survivors with at least one hunt XP in your settlement. One of them gets a scar for plus one permanent strength and minus one permanent evasion. You then have to choose one of them to die and the other one to grieve. The grieving survivor will gain either the revenge disorder if you have cannibalized as your death principle, and this will, of course, trigger your death principle, if you haven't triggered it already, or the ve- Graves' Vengeance fighting art, and then finally you can hunt Spidiculus once you've finished all this. So, this is one of the most gameable events in the entire game, because if you don't have two male survivors with at least 100 XP in your settlement, none of this can happen, because you can't nominate them. You can have one in your settlement, and you're like, well, I haven't got two, so I can't nominate it. Um, If you're going to play this exactly as it goes without nominating, I would say you play the prologue fight, you get 100 XP on two male survivors, then you don't take them out on the next hunt, you take two other males out, get one hunt XP on them each, 
Then, so you've got four males with one hunt XP each, and you choose one of them to die. And the rival scar is plus one permanent strength and minus one permanent evasion. That's garbage. So give it to the guy you're going to kill, because losing evasion early on is not good. Not good at all. Um, in exchange for strength, I mean... You could game it a bit and play some very high strength, but you you don't have the kind of control you need to stop that survivor being targeted early on. Um, of the things you get as a death principle, the Vengeance Fighting Art is when a survivor dies during the showdown, you gain plus four survival and a plus one strength token. So it's kind of not very good because this requires you to have lost a survivor for it to trigger, which is not what you want to be doing um, if you can avoid it. And revenge, if you just give me one moment, is when a survivor dies during the showdown, suffer the frenzy brain trauma. So this is like starting to give you a taste of what Spidiculous is about, which is really heavy punishment and screwing over of a settlement, putting it up near the top end of difficulty. If you're going to play with Spidiculous as written, you've got to be ready for a really rough time. Which... I mean, Kingdom Death is all about dealing with, you know, dying survivors and this, that, and the other thing. But at the same time, you don't want to basically have to rely on that to trigger effects in the game. So that's another reason why a lot of these uh, fighting arts and abilities that you're talking about now are just kind of eh. Because you, you don't want to have to use them ever. Now, a cool example of a fighting art that triggers off other people dying is Last Man Standing. Which is like, yeah, okay. Last Man Standing is awesome. It's awesome. It's cool. It's thematic. It's very powerful. And it's quite hard to happen. But I mean, if you have a guy with Last Man Standing and he is there as the Last Man Standing, it is, it's awesome. It's one of those things that tales are made of. But vengeance is, uh, it's sort of like you get a small benefit for being down a man or woman. So I'm not. <laughs> I'm not a big fan of any of the stuff you get from Young Rivals, and that's why when I play, if I play with Spidiculous in, I only take one man out on the first two hunts. I have three men, one, three women, one man, uh, so I can't trigger any of Young Rivals unless I want to trigger the Death Principle um, early, because it will give you an early Death Principle trigger. That's interesting. I never really thought about uh, gaining it by only having one male survivor, and I guess that makes you yeah, just skip it. That's what a lot of people do, yeah. Yeah, they, um, uh, uh Spiraling Cadaver, um, uh, Nick on Board Game Geek is currently playing, um, through with Spidiculous and his group gamed it like that to not lose anyone. So that's like my first complaint about Young Rivals. I think Young Rivals should just target two male survivors in the settlement. Doesn't matter how much XP they have, it should just target two of them. I don't understand why they have to have hunt XP mechanically. It sucks. Thematically, I get the thinking, which is that these young rivals did, you know, they were out on hunts together and and so on. So, but it's just it's worked out to be something people just take advantage of or try and avoid entirely, which is a shame. Yeah, it's not exactly the spirit that you want to see in the game. No, no. And the very first time it happens, like the first time we played blind, this caused so much aggravation for the people playing male survivors. They were very upset. Like, there was a, two of them, like, set, put their survivors forward and went, yeah, I'll go in for the event. And, cause of course, the, um, the one experienced previously with the screaming antelope, it was kind of fun. There was some positives to it. And instead, they were sat there staring at each other going, well, one of us has to die. This sucks. This, yeah. you know. 
Then I'm sure it leads into an argument of who the hell are we killing, and I don't want my survivor to die. You kill yours. Yes, Ridiculous has caused a lot of very heated arguments over the table, and actually, like people haven't been speaking to each other um, for periods because of it. (laughs) This is not ideal, Um, but we'll talk about more of those situations later. I think, um, I think that leads us nicely into hunting it. All right, so I've got the uh, some of the hunt event cards pulled up on my screen here. So uh, you want to jump into the events, and we'll talk about the forest once, what it wants at the end of it, or uh, well, I'll I'll talk about the track and where it sits, and then um, and then we can go through the events if you guys want to read them, and I can comment a bit. Sounds good to me. Good. Right, so um, spiculous on the track. First of all, overwhelming darkness is replaced with a card called the forest gate, which triggers the forest wants what it wants. So overwhelming darkness doesn't happen, something else does. We'll talk about that in a little, in a little while. Um, Spidiculous itself, the level one sits in the fifth spot with uh, two with two specific Spidiculous events before it. The level two sits just after um, the forest wants what it wants with three Spidiculous specific events. And the level three will sit, um, what is it, it's space one, two, three, four, five, six. Space 11, and it's got five. So a tip, a, on a typical hunt, you're not going to see every single hunt card for Spidiculous because it has seven, which is an unusual number. They normally have six, if I remember correctly, five or six. Um, but uh, it's so it's sort of like there's more variety on the hunts than is normal. So I have so I have eight cards speaking here. Speaking of which, eight. Ooh, I might be missing one. Oh no, wait, two are stuck together. I've got um, I've got eight. Thank you. Yeah, we'd have found that eight. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure. Like when I was looking before, uh, the others had something more like six or something. But I don't have a, one of my other decks to hand. Anyway, uh, if you guys would like to start, I can actually check what a normal deck has right now. All right. So uh, starting out with some of the hunt events here. The first one that I have in front of me is Bad Vibrations. And that is the air around the survivors suddenly feels strange. A metallic cackling becomes audible all around them. The survivors are unable to identify its source, but are certain that they are being watched. The event revealer rolls a D10. If the result is even, set up the showdown with uh, monster-level spiderlings adjacent to the silk nest. If the result is odd, move this ridiculous one space backwards on the hunt board. Any comments there, Fen? Uh, well, obviously, this plays into the whole vibrations theme of it. Um, I mean, having more spiderlings on the board is dangerous. I mean, just one isn't too bad, but uh, the spiderlings can get very problematic at the higher levels. Um, and having it move backwards, well, not too much of an issue on any of the spots, in my opinion. I mean, it just kind of, it doesn't move it past overwhelming darkness at all. So it's just one of those kind of a bit like the um, antelope, well, more like the white line moving around. It doesn't quite dash across the hunt board. It just no, kind it, of scuttles. Yeah, it doesn't move as much as the antelope, if I remember correctly. Uh, there's a lot about Spidiculus that reminds me of the white lion, uh, especially in the hunt. So, yeah, it's just, this is just one of those, the monster moves or something bad happens in the showdown. And it's fine. 
All right, so next up is Kaven, and that's the survivors descend into a silk-lined tunnel as they slowly make their way. They feel the ground beneath come uh, the ground become thin beneath them. Suddenly, the tunnel collapses, and the survivors find themselves in a vast chamber. Any survivor wearing heavy gear are knocked unconscious and suffer the concussion severe head injury. If any survivors are not wearing heavy gear, nominate the one among them with the highest courage to roll the Crystal Lake section of the Mineral Gathering Story event. So this. This one's actually very beneficial if you don't have anyone uh, with heavy gear, because uh, yes. then you could go for the mineral gathering, and that's I believe you can get iron from that, correct, Ben? Yeah, you can. Well, the um, the Crystal Lake section is the best part of the mineral gathering story event, so uh, that's fantastic. Um, this, like, not wearing any heavy gear, this is one of those weird things that... Um, I'll mention a few times is Spiriculus is actually in some ways quite a good quarry to have in People of the Sun. Um, and this is one of the small little ways in which it works. But uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, the Crystal Lake section can give you the Crystal Skin. Um, and the Crystal Skin has synergy with the Slenderman expansion. So we're kind of starting to get towards the way I think Spidiculous works very well, which is in combination with Slenderman and the um, Sunstalker. There's a really nice sort of synergy between those three expansions. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's, this is just a good event. And even if you are wearing heavy armor, like concussion, severe head injury is not too bad. All right. So then we have cocoons next, and that's the survivors come across a large off-white ball of silk. Deep within is the dark shadow of its contents. The survivors may nominate someone from among them with three-plus courage to investigate, and if they do, roll on the table. So the table is a d10. One through two is you gain a minus-one speed token. Vapors seep out of the broken silk, burning your eyes. Uh, three through eight, bright yellow goo was locked under pressure and sprays all over you. Suffer three brain event damage. And then finally, on a 9-plus, an indistinguishable pile of flesh was inside. Gain one question mark basic resource. So that's the mystery meat, correct? Yep, mystery meat. Free mystery uh, meat. Yeah, mystery meat. I'm kind of of the opinion that this is a 20% chance of something good versus an 80% chance of something bad. It kind of comes down to do you have a survivor... Like a tank survivor, maybe with a grand weapon who's got some insanity to spare, and you do it. But a lot of the time I can see myself just being like, uh, nah, I'm alright, you know, we'll just have the random hunt event instead, because that's more likely to be beneficial. So, not a huge fan of this one. I think the numbers could have been a bit better. Alright, uh... We have Lonely Bridge, so the survivors reach a wide chasm bridged by silk strands that cling to the sides at a dizzying height. Roll a d10, add the combined courage of the survivors to the results. On a 12-plus, they inch their way across the silk. Otherwise, roll two random hunt events. It's an interesting mechanism mechanic there. Um, doesn't seem very hard to beat that. Uh, well, in some ways, yes, but that's combined courage, so... Early on, and Spidiculus is supposed to be an early game monster, you're kind of looking at the chances of passing that are not high. So normally this is like two random hunt events. So that can make the the, the early hunts quite a bit longer and more dangerous. Um, later True, on, it's kind of nothing. 
here once you've got like four survivors with about two or three hunter, uh, courage each, which you know is quite easy. Um, it doesn't mean very much. So it's an interesting event. It's one of those ones that kind of like punishes you more in the early game than it does later on. All right. So then after that, we've got Meat Puppet. Uh, at the top of the hill, uh, the survivors see a single tree and a stranger who gestures towards them with stiff and unnatural movements. Uh, the event revealer may investigate. If they do, roll a d10 and add their understanding to the result. Otherwise, roll a random hunt event before continuing to the next hunt board space. On a 1 to 10, the event revealer comes upon the stranger and finds them to be a mummified corpse. They suffered 5 brain event damage. On an 11+, plus, the survivor sees the spidiculous controlling the stranger's movements and gives chase. Move the survivors one space towards the monster. If the this moves the survivors into the monster's space, the survivors ambush the monster. The first thing that comes to my head with this is that scene in Independence Day where the alien throws the scientist up against the glass and he's trying to convince them to open the door. <laughs> that's, that's just what popped into my head. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Uh... It's certainly like a classic horror movie kind of event, this. Um, I find one thing interesting, like, the card layout on this doesn't make any sense to me. Because, um, I mean, if you look at the others, which are like, if, they, if you investigate, it just says, like, at the bottom, if no one investigates, they'll have the little half circle with the dice printed on it. That's not here. For some reason, they put it up the top. I kind of feel that's, like, bad um, layout design. It's inconsistent. It's like a minor complaint, but, uh, you know. And it doesn't uh, the have the, uh, the table results either for... Uh, yeah, exactly. For you could have had a table. I, it's, I don't understand why it's been done this way. Um, but there's a lot of times that uh, you can see quality control within Kingdom Death is a bit kind of... I'm not going to say haphazard, but uh, it, it could be tighter, you know. And for someone like myself, this is a, a minor, minor, minor irritation. Uh, for the event itself, though, I think it's interesting. Um, but you, you're not gonna, like, you're not gonna investigate this without high understanding, really. Um, it, there's no reason to take five brain event damage unless you have, like, one understanding and you've, you've already taken brain event damage. So, you, you know, you're, you're already on the tick on your box, head box, and you're like, what? No, brain box. Brain box. And you, um, you can't, you know, there's no downside for it. So it's sort of, it's very situational once you know what's going on with the meat puppet. Later on, drawing this can just become like, brilliant, we get to skip the next space. You know? so yeah, it's, 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 it's a fun thematic event, there's nothing wrong with it. Uh, it's, it's fine. Yeah, it's pretty simple and straightforward. Yeah. Uh, so then we have picked clean. The survivors come across a fresh corpse being eaten to the bone by spiderlings. The event revealer may choose to investigate and roll a d10 on the table below. So on the d10, one through two, the spiderlings are overwhelming, gain a bleeding token. Three through eight, fend off the spiderlings, but suffer monster level event damage to two hit locations. And then on a nine plus, the spiderlings scatter from the corpse, leaving behind a strange weapon. Tiny silk spinning spiders pour from its hilt to gain the weaver rare gear. And if no one investigates, roll a random hunt event. Okay, so before I discuss this card a little bit, I will describe the weaver here. This is the only way you can get the Weaver, which is a rare gear card. Uh, it is a weapon melee sword amber. Um, it is three speed, six plus accuracy, two strength, a unique. It has a top red and a left red affinity. 
Um, it, and when you wound a monster, you get to add one armor to a random hit location. Now, this is very clearly, you can tell, an early game weapon. It's very much like you don't want this late game because who cares about a sword with three strength? You're, uh, you're really not going to use that very often at all. Um, but uh, it's very hard to get. If you look at this table, that is an 80% chance of something awful happening to you. And a bleeding token is significant unless you are packing bandages and you can get rid of it immediately. Taking, um, like, early on, one event damage to two hit locations, that's really bad because if you think about it, rawhide armor, which you might be wearing at this point, some, only has two armor points on it per location. So that's a lot of damage. And, it, you know, later on, even taking three damage to hit, two hit locations is bad. So I kind of feel like... Early game, this is a high risk for a low reward. Like the Weaver's okay, twenty percent chance of having it. Maybe if you have otherworldly luck from one of, from the Flower Knight expansion, it's thirty percent. Late game, you're not ever going to bother with this because why do you want the Weaver? There's, it's, I don't know. I, it took me a long time to. F- I was looking um, through the ex- this expansion for quite a while to figure out where you got the Weaver from because I hadn't looked at the hunt deck for a while, and I realized the reason I didn't know is because every time we looked at Pick the Clean, we just went, right, random hunt event, because we didn't want to investigate because of the downsides. So it's a bit of a shame. It is interesting that that's the only way to get it, uh, but yeah. if it was like a, a little bit more incentivized to get it, if the weapon was a little better for mid and late game, mm-hmm. then I could see it. But yeah, it's a little yeah. bit too much of an early game weapon to risk it. it. If there was like a second hunt event that gave another item that say gave the weaver sharp and some extra strength, then you could be like, oh well, I get this, and then I get a second piece uh, late game, and it becomes like a an interesting weapon to use. Uh, the ability on it's cool, one armor to random hit location, that is interesting per wound. But I mean, at two strength, that's weaker than most um, white lion we- weapons. You know, they're three strength most of them. It's weaker than most bonesmith weapons, or on par with them. So it's it's not it's just not a good weapon. Um, like a late game, you might use it for filling with the uh, the affinities somewhere. Um, and it's a sword. Swords are kind of an average weapon type. So <sighs> it's disappointing. Like this, I, I don't see. Um, like maybe somebody will get lucky and draw the weaver earlier on and have a high strength survivor who can make use of it, and that could be um, of some benefit to them. But uh, yeah, I'm not too fussed about picked clean, and I feel like in most circumstances it's just a roll um, random hunt event card. All right, so then we have surrounded, and that's the survivors stop in a clearing and bed down for the night. They are tormented in the darkness by small spindly shapes lurking just outside of their field of vision. The survivor with the highest hunt XP is suddenly grabbed by the legs by an angry spiderling. Each of the other survivors roll a D10. If the total result is 18+, plus, they manage to stave off the creature without incident. Otherwise, the grabbed survivor suffers the a random severe leg injury with plus one to the roll result. That's awful. Yeah, it's awful, yeah. So your average roll on 3D10 is 16.5. So you have to roll slightly above average to avoid this. But do remember that um, a severe leg injury with plus one won't cause death because legs only kill on a one. But uh, That's true. I did I did forget that, that the leg yeah. is only a one. Yeah, that's 
why when you build your army, you go head, body, hands, waist, legs in that order. Um, because the legs are the safest location to get hit in and take severe injuries. But yeah, this is still horrible. You could, you could have a, lose a leg, turn up, you know, missing a leg. Um, and this is, this is why I said earlier on, like Spediculus is very much this very aggressive, nasty, you have to be playing Kingdom Death for a while. Uh, or be a glutton for punishment to really enjoy playing this expansion because it does just make the game so much harder. Well, it's interesting too, just because it's not something that scales as the game progresses. So it's no. not based off of understanding or strength no. or uh, courage. It's just like, screw you, you could be, you know, second from final year in your campaign and you're going, you lose a leg because a little baby spider ripped it off while you were sleeping. Exactly. One other thing that is interesting is groups who play with five or six players. This is like less of a consequence for them. Um, and you know, five or six players, depending on which rule set variant you play with, it can be a lot easier to play than normal. Um, I could actually give me a second because I do have it up here. Yeah. So, uh, so with five players, your average roll is 22 and with six players, your average roll is 27.5. So you can see what a big difference it makes then this just becomes like nothing to them um but yeah it's uh just 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 a really really unpleasant card to draw and then we've got um the way is narrow yep so the way is narrow the survivors walk between two cliffs that narrow until everyone is forced to walk single file at some point, the survivors in front realize the last in the line has disappeared. Each survivor rolls a d10. The lowest rolling survivor, roll off in case of ties, becomes the straggler. Remove the straggler from the rest of the hunt phase, and they gain a bleeding token. If the survivors return to the settlement before fighting Spediculus, the straggler is dead. Otherwise, the straggler starts the showdown at knockdown adjacent to the monster. Yeah. Um, it's very, very, very rare that the survivors would return to the settlement, because as you notice, Spediculus doesn't move very much. So there's few um, basic hunt events that cause the hunt to end. I can't think of one off the top of my head. Uh, I would have probably have to be all the other survivors dying on the way. Um, so this one is generally gain a bleeding token, be knocked down next to the monster, and don't get to take part in the hunt event more. I'm okay with this one. Like it's it's fine. It's a bit sort of a bit of a punishment. Being next to the monster right at the start against Spediculus is quite nasty, but um, it's okay. And no one ever likes getting the bleeding tokens. <laughs> no, no, bleeding tokens are not good, but, you know, bandages are a thing. You say that like I remember to bring them. <sighs> well, you're not alone. So many people don't uh, bother getting bandages or forget about them. That's why I harp on about the whisker harp and bandages. You harp about the harp? I harp about the harp. The harp is great. Uh, right, so we are on to the best part of the hunt event, um, which is the replacement for Overwhelming Darkness, and instead we get the forest wants what it wants, which is the gate to uh, gate in the Abyssal Forest to, like, the big, big, deep part of the Abyssal Forest. Um, the picture's fantastic, and if you don't, have either Spediculus or the Flower Knight. At some point, you do want to have a look at it because it's it's gorgeous. It shows, I think it's Zachary and Urza approaching the gate, um, and it's it's a it's a Spediculus on the gate um, in wrought iron. 
or whatever this stuff is. So, the silence and darkness is broken by a glowing hum that whispers into their bones. When the survivors land on the overwhelming darkness space, they must instead resolve the forest wants what it wants. You test the gate. Now, this, I think, is such a better mechanic than overwhelming darkness. Overwhelming darkness, as you remember, is three tables, and you roll on them and you just take some random punishment. Sometimes you might get a benefit. If you're insane, you get heavily punished. If you're like just some ordinary spot, then you get sort of lightly punished. And if you're, if you have courage, then you sort of get punished less. Um, but test the gate instead. You roll on a table and now I've got a one to seven. The hunt's over. You have to apply the rules for star- starvation and tough luck. Sounds really harsh, but you know. And an eight to twelve, you get a begrudging welcome. The gate opens a little bit. The, and um, survives force their way through and gain a bleeding token each on the way past. And on a 13 plus, the survivors are let through. Uh, they gain 1d5 insanity and plus one understanding. So you're aiming to try and get a 13 plus. How can you do that when you're rolling like 1d10? Well, before, after rolling, now this is after, not before, you get to do any of the following actions to increase the result. So you can get add, take a, a minus one attribute token of your choice, gain a bleeding token, gain a random disorder, or archive one gear from your grid. So potentially each survivor can add up to four to this result. I think this is so great. This is like, choose your poison. You know, you're you're very, very unlikely to fail to test the gate, but it's going to cost you to get through there, but you get to choose the costs. Uh, I mean, uh, you guys experience this a fair bit when you go against the Flower Knight, don't you? Yeah, we've done the Flower Knight quite a bit in our personal campaigns and on stream, yeah. and... uh it's I, I really do love the mechanic. It really takes you by surprise the first time you see it. Yeah. And then just the way you manage it based off of uh, what you're going in to fight, because it gives you the opportunity to choose what's going to happen to you. What are you yeah. sacrificing to get through the gate? And I think that that's really neat. It's um, yeah, I've got nothing but praise for this. This replaces my least favorite part of the hunt, which is overwhelming darkness that I, I really don't have much time for because I'm not keen on run, random roll take punishment kind of stuff, which you have no control over. This I really like. Like, you know, the, it's just good. And random disorders actually does have like some tactical benefits because there are certain disorders you may be looking to get. Ghostly Beauty being a great example of one for reasons we will talk about when we talk about the Flower Knight. Um, well, yeah, it's just, I've got nothing but, like, thumbs up praise for this, and I think this is going to make, if this happens in the Abyssal Woods, this is going to be great. So, so one of the options, again, is to take a minus one attribute token, correct? Yeah, it is. So I think, I want to say that we cheesed this a little bit in one of our personal campaigns where we had a survivor, and I forget what the fighting art is, uh, but it's one that allows you to take negative attribute tokens and make them positive attribute tokens. <laughs> oh, there's loads of ways you can cheese it like that. There's um there's there's stuff that lets you discard all negative tokens. There's stuff that um I think the rubber bone harvest lets you flip them all or convert them all to pluses. All sorts, yeah. It's it's nice that again that's kind of cheesable. I'll have a minus one luck token please. Exactly. And I, I think that that's pretty neat because it, it rewards you for thinking creatively and being strategic about yeah. your builds. Yeah. And then again, bleeding tokens, you, you learn to go, well, if we're going to take some bleeding going through here, remember to take bandages, have a blood skin, you know. 
send people out with um, unconscious fighter because they can take seven bleeding tokens. Well, the other like fun that. thing is, uh, oh, I have a slow weapon. I'm going to take a minus one speed because it doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> and it tones down the problems when I frenzy, if I frenzy. Yeah, it's it's really good. Or um, I have um, arithmophilia, I think it is, which is where your movement is always set to a certain number. And you go, well, I'll take a minus one speed token, uh, movement token. I think there are movement tokens on there? Yeah, there are. Yeah. Um, of course there are. Uh, and it doesn't do anything again. So it's, it's cool. Like, this is the best part of the expansion. Sorry, Spiniculus. <laughs> but I, I love the Forest Gate. Yeah, the Forest Gate is really awesome. So definitely thumbs up on that. Yeah. Fen, do you ever discard gear to get to a plus one, or do you not normally do that? Never. Never, there's some, like, uh, except for, um, like, there's some debate of whether you can discard the, um, the, the rock, the four, the, the Lovelorn rock, um. Oh, the rock that you have to have in your gear grid? Yeah. Yeah. Or like the Twilight Sword or something? Oh, well, uh, if I got Twilight Sword, it's normally sat in the settlement, because ain't nobody got time for that. Um, but yeah, you know, uh, there's some gear that maybe you toss away, uh, and it's an interesting idea I hadn't thought about too much. Maybe yeah. in the future we'll have some gear that you kind of want to get rid of that's not cursed. Oh so- yeah, sorry, there is one, the Sword of Silence, yeah. The Sword of Silence, uh, which is from the Fade promo expansion, while you have it, you can't trigger the white secret or, um, storytelling events. And later on in the game, you want to do that. So going through the forest gate would let you get rid of the sword without having to kill someone who's holding it. So, yeah. Oh, that's pretty good. I didn't think of that one. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, like, I love the storytelling event once you get fired off in because the cult speaker knife and the blood skin are amazing. They're from the white speaker promo expansion. Uh, and also the story of the young hero uh, is really, really good as well. And um, we will actually be talking about that a bit later. Uh, so yeah, uh, I, I love this. So that should be everything from the hunt events, then, right? Yep, I believe we've arrived for the showdown. So uh, I don't have a book in front of me, but do one of you gentlemen want to do like a brief rundown on the setup of the showdown board? I'll take this. So first of all, we've got a little bit of uh, extra fluff and lore. This is the showdown bit of bump, which is all good children. Know to hide when they hear the signs of the knocking ghost. A rapping outside your hovel. A laugh like dried leaves blowing over the ground. The shadow of a familiar face disappearing around a corner. All bad children who dare go outside when it comes around will be snapped up. Never to be seen again. So a little bit more of the kind of idea of how Spidiculus will stalk around your settlement and abduct people. Um, uh, Spidiculus is itself its um instinct is to spin um it will uh go back into the middle of the showdown board and it will vibrate moving in a way no living creature should and it gets plus two evasion and all survivors suffer star brain damage monster level brain damage uh spidiculus's blind spot is specifically in the spaces underneath the monster this is what we talked about earlier spidiculus you isn't physically on the board you can stand underneath it um so uh, it, where its shadow is cast, and you can attack from there, and you'll get an extra bonus to hit from that position. 
which is why some people basically don't use the model. They'll just put a a two by two base, a fifty mil base on the board, and move that around. And to be honest, it can be a lot helpful if you have a very helpful if you have a small board, small table, because spiriculus the it runs to the edges of the board quite often and uh, sort of hangs over the edge and is a bit sort of problematic and annoying. Um, I have got an idea of how to fix that, but I need to get my hands on a second Spidiculous expansion, and they're a bit expensive, so I don't, really, I don't really, uh, I haven't really been able to put it into action. But uh, maybe one day I'll, um, I'll, I'll convert things up and do a Spidiculous that fits on the showdown board. I'm curious to see what you have up your sleeve now, Fun. I know. Well, if if people want to get together and uh, send me one, I'll do it. He's just gonna make a yeah. legless one, and so it's just it's just <laughs> a ball. ball. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, survivors need to be able to fit under. Yeah, see, but I, I've got a really something I think will work really well. Um, right. Statistic wise, uh, the um, uh, as always, there are three levels. The level one has five basic and four advanced, meaning it has a total of 10 wounds. Its movement is 11, which is huge, and its toughness is 8. It has uh, several cards, which we will go into at the end of of talking about these, because they're they're more or less the same down there. We just added a few extra, and also we'll want to talk about spiderlings as well in detail. So it has twitching leg pile, spawn... Spidling action and frantic spinning. The level two has eight basics, five advance, um, 14 movement, 10 toughness, and he gets an extra speed and damage token. The, the level three has 12 basics, seven advance, two legendaries. It has a total of potentially three to choose from. Uh, movement 16, toughness 12, speed is plus two, damage is plus two. Uh, the additional cards added is at level two, it gets feeding time. And then at le- uh, level three, uh, it gets uh, necrotoxins and 10,000 teeth. Now, this means um, e- each one of the different uh, levels has a different mood in play to start with, which is frantic spinning for level one, feeding time for level two, and 10,000 teeth for level three. But that's just kind of the mood of Spidiculus at the beginning of the fight. Uh, it a funny thing? Funny yeah. thing, 10,000 Teeth is actually a uh, trait card, and it's an S card. It's not an A card. Oh, they've <laughs> listed it as an A here on the... Oh, uh, it's a typo. We'd have got to that. Yep, I can see that now. 10,000 Teeth, yeah. S card, trait. So it has a trait instead of a mood. Cool. Thank you for the correction. All right. Um, the showdown itself, the survivors all set up along one of the long edges. The... Uh, Monster sets up right in the middle. Uh, it has a silk nest underneath it, which is an impassable special piece of terrain. Um, and then they're within four spaces, much like the acanthus for the, the screaming antelope, you'll have uh, egg sacs. It's one uh, egg sac set up in the green area, I think, terrain card, which I think is one egg sac per monster level, or is it two egg sacs per monster level? I haven't got the terrain cards here. Immediately to hand. I know where they are, though. Uh, uh, let me double check it because we should probably talk about the terrain after we talked about this. Uh, there we are. Um, yep. Yeah. Exacts. Where are you, Exacts? It's 
very attractive statement there, Fen. Uh, yes. Uh, yeah, it's two per monster level. Star monster level. So, uh, quick question. Would uh, Fetosaurus reduce the number of egg sacs set up? I believe it would. Sure sounds like it, because Fetosaurus always reduces the uh, monster level in the star cases by one, correct? I believe it does. I will really quickly look at Fetosaurus because I have always have a copy of the Green Knight expansion in my pocket. Just to remind myself. Don't leave home without it. Never leave home without a Green Knight. Yeah, absolutely. Well, he says that. He's actually <laughs> damned. <laughs> um, yeah, I do. Uh, is that the right one? Grizz Griswold, though. Feta, uh, where are you, Feta? Where's your Where's your bearded face? We all know and love you very much. You're the best shield in the game. There we are. Uh, yeah, yeah. It does reduce the star down by one. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So yeah, there will be less egg sacs if you take a Fetosaurus in. Right. That's what we all want in life is less egg sacs around. Yeah, well, you know, you don't want lots of spider egg sacs in your house, do you? You can stay in the garden, thank you very much. Okay, um, so that's kind of how it sets up. Uh, you don't set up too far away from Spediculus, unlike the Screaming Antelope where you set up on the short board edges, which increases the distance to get to the monster. Um, and um, the terrain, so... Do either of you have access to the terrain, or shall I carry on? If you can carry on, I would appreciate that. I don't seem to have those in front of me right now. Uh, okay, yeah, I didn't grab so, those either. Uh, okay, so Spediculus comes with two extra pieces of terrain. These can turn up in any showdown, but uh, in Spediculus-specific ones, there is the Silk Nest, which sits in the middle of the board. Uh, it is an obstacle and impassable. So survivors can't move through it, monsters can, and it blocks the line of sight. Um, you can activate it. It will put a spiderling in a free space nearest to the survivor. Then you roll a d10, um, and this, each survivor can do this once a showdown. On a 1 to 2, you get knocked down, and there's another spiderling on the board. On a 3 to 7, you get knocked down and suffer two brain damage. On an 8 to 9, you free someone from the silk and gain a population. And on a 10, you gain a skull basic resource. So, uh, first of all, this means spiderlings can turn up potentially in any fight if you have a sp um, spediculous expansion in because silk nests uh, will be drawn randomly out of the terrain deck. Um, that can be interesting. You have to remember to have the spiderling stuff to hand if you are playing that way. But also, this is like one of those ways to get extra population uh, or resources. So normally, everybody searches the silk nest, I find. Like 30% chance of something good. Egg sacs are, um, well, they're uh, monster level egg sacs, so they'll be double the number. Uh, so one, there'll be two at monster level one, four at level two, and six at level three. Um, you activate to search the web sack, the egg sack. It'll explode and you gain web silk strange resource automatically. A spiderling goes on the board and then you roll the dice, uh, d10 on one to three. You get knocked down. On a 4 to 7, you get the priority target token. On an 8 plus, the spider dies immediately and you gain 2 insanity. Spiderling. So, egg sacs are like really great. And in the Spediculous Showdown, this is one of your targets. This is how you're going to get web silk a lot of the time. You're aiming for the egg sacs. So, 
I'd say if you have Fetosaurus, you're not going to be taking Fetosaurus along against Spidiculus, because unless you really don't need any more silk, which is interesting. Yeah, right. So we now have the traits. So would somebody like to take the lead on the traits? Give me a quick break. Yeah, I can do that. Thank you. Do we just want to do level one traits or you want to go over all of them? Uh, we'll do all of the traits because, I mean, there's not that much change. It's just a bit of an increase and then we'll talk about spiderlings and the particular specific rules. All right. So first up, we have the twitching leg pile. The monster has minus one movement for each card under the twitching leg pile until there are eight cards and it becomes limbless. Limbless, the monster's movement is three, regardless of movement modifiers. During the aftermath, uh, Fen, how do you say that one? Which one? That event. <laughs> Spidocyphilis. Yeah, that. <laughs> yeah. You can't say Spidocyphilis, Josh? <laughs> You can't say Spidocyphus. Spidocyphus. Good enough. Spidocyphus. Or Spidocyphilis if you uh, want to make it easier on yourself and make it sound more disgusting. Spider syphilis, yay. Yay, what if you. You're not supposed. You're supposed to fight it, Matt. Fight! Oh. The other well, it, word. Whoopsie daisy. Uh, oh dear, let's not go down that path. Alright, so next up we have Spawn, which is just, uh, place a spiderling in an unoccupied space adjacent to the spider nest as close to the nearest survivor as possible. And it's got a cute little picture of a baby spiderling coming out of an egg. Spiderlings are actually quite cute looking, even the models are. The models are a pain in the butt to put together. Tell me about it. You know, you two have a very different, different definition of cute than I do. Big eyes makes for cute creatures. Like that's why anglerfish are gorgeous. Look at the gorm. totally. Look at look at the gorm. Look look at his look at his little face. I'll just leave that one be. Yeah. All right. Next up, I'm going to go into ten thousand teeth. This is a trait. Yep. Uh, all sp- all spiderclist attacks gain after damage, and it's bleed one target gains one bleed token. So more bleed! Yay! Bleed for every attack profile. That's a pain in the ass. Yeah. That's funny because the picture looks like a spiderling. I know it's it's supposed to be spidiculous though, right? It is It is definitely a spiderling mouth, but it is spidiculous who gains the trait, yeah. But it, I, it may... It, this is one of the things I'm not entirely clear about. Um, it may include the spiderlings gaining this as well. Right. But I don't think it does. It does say all spidiculous attack profiles, so that's not yeah. technically a spidiculous attack profile if it's a spiderling. Yeah, right? that's what uh, that's. I agree, but also, why does it say profiles? You know, I feel like this should say spiderlings. Uh, the spiderlings get stronger. I I feel like it should because it's replacing a mood that normally is for the spiderlings. Because uh, so we look at the uh, the the other ones. Uh, the, which are taken from the A deck, their moods, uh, buff moods to the spiderlings that change how they act. Frantic spirit in a feeding time. So it feels like this should be the same thing, but maybe not. Yeah, I think with the picture, I think that should be spiderlings. I think that's a typo. All right. So next up, we have uh, we have a hive mind. It's a trait, and at the beginning of each monster's turn, perform spawn. Yep. So what is spawn? 
That was uh, the card we went over earlier, which was uh, a spiderling uh, comes up adjacent next to the nest. And this is a level three, uh, level two and three trait. Yeah. So, so just all the spiderlings coming for you. It's going to be a spiderling every single turn. Yeah. Is there a limit to the spiderlings? Six. As many as you got models. All right. So then we have the uh, spiderling action card, which is just. Tells you how a spiderling works. Uh, at the end of each monster's turn, spiderlings perform the following one at a time. Pick target, closest threat in range, closest survivor, no target, full move towards Pediculus. Move and attack uh, target. They have a movement of four. Level one, they have one speed, four plus accuracy, one damage. Level two, it is a two speed, four plus accuracy, one damage. And then level three, it's a three speed, four speed, two damage. So You mean three speed, four plus accuracy? Yeah, yeah. sorry. Yeah. Three speed, four plus accuracy, two damage. Yep. Yep. Uh, so the other r- rules on spiderlings are they have a movement attribute of four. They have toughness equal to the monsters at the start of the showdown. They don't get attribute tokens. They don't have a facing. They don't have a blind spot. They can't move through spaces occupied by survivors, impassable terrain or other monsters, except for Spidiculus, who doesn't occupy a space on the board. Um, if they, uh, and if they would occupy the same, they get put in the nearest space. If knockback causes a survivor to move into a spiderling, uh, they would collide with it as per like normal kind of rules. So they they still do the collisions. Um, movement wise, they just take the shortest path they can do to get to their target. They're very straightforward and simple to uh, to understand. They don't have hit locations, so once you wound one, they're gone. You know, you just ro- so you hit you hit you make a wound roll, they're gone. Uh, you don't get weapon proficiency ranks for killing spiderlings. Um, you have to wound the monster. And I said we do Spidiculus's rule, specific rules as well. Spidiculus cannot be knocked back or knocked down. It's the only monster that is immune to those. Um, if you are on or adjacent to the shadow, you're considered to be adjacent to Spidiculus. And as mentioned before, uh, if you're in the blind spot, then which is underneath it as its shadow, you'll get plus one to hit as per being the blind spot normally. Question. I thought you could not knock down or knock back the tree. Uh, uh, yep, the tree can't be knocked down or knocked back either, but yeah, it's easy to forget about the tree. Alright, ready to get into the basic cards. Mm-hmm. So there's 12 basic cards? Yep. I'm just checking, there's actually no duplicates here, which is interesting. Yeah, I don't think there are any duplicates in um, the deck at all. All right, I'm going to be pulling these out randomly. Uh, first, I'm going to do all the attack profiles, and then we'll go into the uh, the special cards. Yep. So first up, we have Disable. Closest threat facing in range. Otherwise, it's random th- survivor in range, no target spin. Move and attack target. Two speed, two plus accuracy, two damage. And then before damage, this attack always hits the target's leg location. Afterwards, uh, full move Spidiculous forward. Uh, question, does Spidiculous cause collision? Mm, nope. Does not cause collision, cannot be collided with. That's interesting. I mean, it makes sense, but I never thought of it before. I guess it doesn't have any opportunity to if it's always floating above you. Mm, yeah, the legs and arms don't cause collision either. They're not anything on the board. I mean, it might as well be running along the ceiling. Well, that's not terrifying at all. Thanks, Ben. <laughs> the ceiling in the forest, Matt. That's even more terrifying. It's a forest. It's a solid canopy, but from what we've had described, canopies. 
Yeah, kind of peas. All right, next up is uh, Descend. Closest threat in range. Uh, Full move towards target. Make a separate attack against each survivor in the zone of death, which is each space around him. Uh, If there are no survivors in the zone of death, perform spawn. Uh, It's a two speed, two plus accuracy, one damage. Pretty. So far, all his attacks have been pretty mild. They're not too bad. It's worth noting in the zone of death is a 16 zone space zone, including the spaces underneath Spiniculus on this one. So it's four by four. It includes the spaces directly under the monster. Yes. So what's up next, Josh? We have the birthing hour. It's going to make some babies. Uh, pick target, closest threat facing in range, random survivor in range. Ten on the intimacy table. <laughs> uh, move and attack. <laughs> Uh, two speed, two plus accuracy, two damage. After damage, you perform spawn. Uh, full move forward, then turn to face the most survivors, then place this card on top of the AI deck instead of discarding it. So, a fun... We're just going to keep doing this attack until you hurt me. Yep. And you'll notice Spidiculus is quite mobile. We're already seeing that. It's moving around a lot. Mm. Like, before and after. Yeah, lot, lots of movement. And he starts with 11 movement on a level 1. So he's got all the yeah. movement. So if you, yeah. If you think about how the birthing hour mechanically is going to work, it's going to run up to your survivor, attack them, and then full move past them and turn around. So it's going to be like very far away by the time it finishes unless it's hit a board edge. Yeah. So next up we have Pulverize, which is a uh, pick threat Ooh, closest... Closest target facing in range. Uh, closest threat in field of view. No target spin. Move and attack. Two speed. Two plus accuracy. Two damage. After damage. Perform spawn. Target suffers bash and knockback five. And then he's going to turn to face away f- from the target and full move forward. Then turn to face the most survivors. So Seems again, lots of running. Yeah, this is kind of like uh, similar to birthing hour, except it's got bash and knockback stuck into it instead. Apart from that, uh, the only other difference is it's targeting on the second choice. It's ra- is, uh, closest threat instead of random survivor. Uh, and obviously the card doesn't go back on top of the deck, but like physically, Spidiculous will move in the same manner on both of these cards. Yeah. All right, next up we have Feed. Survivor and Blind Spot. Closest survivor facing in range. No target spin. Uh, two speed, two plus accuracy, two damage. After damage, full move spidiculous away from all threats. Target suffers grab and gains the priority target token. Uh, afterwards, if the attack dealt damage, perform spawn twice, then full move all spiderlings towards the monster. Yeah. So if you think about how this one looks, um, first of all, you might notice these are quite a few damage to attacks, which is very threatening for a monster that you're going to be facing in Lantern Year 2, possibly. Um, but uh, if you think about it, basically Spidiculus grabs somebody, drags them away, births a couple of um, spiderlings, and then like all the other spiderlings come rushing in to try and feed on the single survivor. So it's kind of like, you know, um, mother bird grabbing prey for her, um, for her kin. Or, if you like it, a mother spider catching a fly for her Spiders, little spiderlings. It really warms. It really warms the cockles of your heart to hear that. Yeah, I'm just surprised the spidiculus doesn't try to lay eggs in you and just have them hatch out of you. 
Oh, well, they're saving that for the uh, the Oblivion Mosquito, aren't they? Yeah. All right, next up is Puncture, which is a knockdown survivor in range. Uh, random threat in range. No target spin. Move and attack. Two speed, two, dam- two plus accuracy, one damage. Uh, then afterward, all survivors in the zone of legs gain one bleed token, which is a ginormous space right under it. It is a... Six by six? It's a six by six. Six by six, so yeah, it's the 36 square uh, zone there. So a lot of area for you to get hit. Yep. Uh, and a lot of uh, bleeding tokens. Yeah. I assume puncture here is uh, spinicular stabbing with its feet, given it's called the zone of legs. Yeah, it's just stopping on everything. Mm. But uh, sort of as we sort of hinted at with the hunt section, bandages are... Pretty much an essential for hunting Spidiculous. Do you think this is his feet or his little, like, spikes that come out of his body near the bottom? Uh, uh, well, it's called the zone of legs, so I'm going to go with it being the feet. And if you look at the feet, they're quite sharp and pointed at the end. I think those shorter legs, maybe it does some stabbing with them, but they don't really have a, like, 36 square reach, really, if you look at them. Well, he is wearing high heels, right? So that's probably what it is. It probably is, yeah, high heels. A good point. I forgot about that. <laughs> All right, so this—it's a good point. You get it? Point. Uh-huh. Yeah. I had to. I'm sorry. You didn't have to, but you did. The low-hanging fruit was there. Yeah, you'll always grab the low-hanging fruit, won't you? And the egg sacks. All right. So next up is a, the uh, one duration card that he has, which is hydraulic leap. When this card is drawn face down, removes Pediculus from the showdown board. All survivors suffer monster levels brain damage. Uh, yeah. Monster can't be removed, uh, wounded while he's removed from the showdown board. And then when it's drawn face up, target a random survivor, place that monster over the target, and the attack and attack. This attack cannot be dodged. It's a one speed, a two plus accuracy, three damage. And after damage, target suffers bash and knockback five. So, a nice heavy hit. Yep. So, Hydraulic Leap introduced a rule that should have been in the base game, which is the um, the rule that when a monster is off the board, uh, or a survivor is off the board, they can't be, like, messed around with or touched in any way, shape, or form. Um, which is sort of, like, kind of, like, important, because I believe we talked about it before when we talked about the White Lion. But if you don't have that rule, you can hit and make... Like, if if Spiniculus was targetable while it was off the board, you could throw a Founding Stone and knock this card off the top of the deck and Spiniculus would never come back down again, which would be an interesting experience for everyone. Like, an endless fight. Um, so the, the, that's, I think this rule should just be in the, in the core game because you can do the same thing with the duration card from the um, White Lion. But... That aside, which is a minor niggle um, and just requires common sense to deal with, this attack's pretty damn horrific. I mean, this is a basic attack. Can you imagine a level one doing this? An undodgeable two plus three damage attack? There's no tall grass when you fight, it's ridiculous. So you're not going to have more than two evasion, three if you're very lucky. Yeah, this is like probably heavy hit, at least, maybe even severe, depending on how early game you go against them. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Next up, we have two Intimidate cards. Arachnophobia. Perform spawn. 
full move the monster towards the center of the showdown board. Intimidate all survivors. All survivors suffer one brain damage. Increase this by one for each spiderling on the showdown board. If a survivor has the tiny ractophobia disorder, they suffer knockback seven away from the center of the showdown board. Which is a nice little extra sort of bit. Um, and tiny arachnophobia is one of those interesting little uh, disorders we'll talk about in the next episode. Uh, yeah, I mean, but basically, given how high Spediculus's movement is, it's going to be at the center of the showdown board every time arachnophobia happens. Um, and it's also interesting that this is like a flat one brain damage, regardless of monster level. So it's relying on spawn to increase the uh, the brain damage. And the higher levels spawn more, so I would think it would... They do, yeah. Yeah. It's just a nice, interesting way that they have figured out the brain damage. So this is like Fetosaurus proof. That it is. Uh, next up is Echo and Screams. Perform spawn. One at a time, full move all spiderlings towards the survivor closest to them. Uh, then you pick a target all survivors adjacent to a spiderling, and they intimidate all survivors. All targeted targets suffer uh, monster-level brain damage. Roll 1d10 for each target. On a 5-plus, they are knocked down. Yeah, so kind of a harsh one. Um, not many ways to avoid this at all. But uh, most intimidate actions are quite harsh. So next they're interested as they're not intimidates or they don't have an attack profile. They just kind of make them do things. Yeah. So first up, we have Fling, which is furthest threat facing in range, furthest survivor in field of view, no target spin, perform spawn, but place the spiderling on an unoccupied space adjacent to the target. If possible, place the spiderling between the target and Spediculus. Then full move Spediculus away from all threats, then turn to face the most survivors. Okay, so basically Spediculus lays a uh, spiderling, throws them at the survivor furthest away, and then runs off to a board edge the hide which is like very thematically what spediculus does is a lot of like letting its minions do its work for it and hiding away i'm just trying to imagine spediculus take using his giant hands to pick up one of his babies and toss it across the the map i think you might want to say her babies or Uh, her babies babies. it's babies yes that's true it might be a he who knows i mean the female white lions have testicles poots are said it's canon (laughs) so but could be all genders Let's not it is, assume it's gender. It is really comical, though, to to imagine him just fastballing one of or it fastballing one of its youngs over at you, and then running away and kind of like peering around the corner, like I wonder if that worked. <laughs> yeah, by freshly born offspring, kill them. <laughs> All right, uh, we have a spiderling's voice now, a uh, spidiculous voice now, and a spiderling's voice. <laughs> All right, hypergenesis. Uh, the spediculus hums. The air around it vibrates. All survivors suffer monster-level brain damage. Perform spawn. All survivors in this zone of legs gain one bleeding token. Replace the egg sac terrain tile in the zone of legs with a spiderling. For each egg, yeah. Uh, then the yeah. legs zone is the same six by six as before. Yep. So similar to the previous one, dealing brain damage instead. And, of course, you're looking to get rid of the egg sac terrain as fast as possible, given that this could happen. Because you don't want to lose the egg sacs anyway, because you want the silk. So, little strategy tip, get rid of the egg sacs, collect them early on in the fight. Much like when you fight against the um, 
Screaming Antelope, you want to gather up the Acanthus early on before it gets eaten. All right, and the last basic card, I think is the most disturbing one, uh, Defarrowing Offsprings. If there are no Spiderlings on the board, uh, uh, discard this card and perform a basic attack. Action. Uh, full move the monster towards the nearest Spiderling. If the monster ends its movement on or adjacent to a Spiderling, remove it from the showdown board and heal monster level wounds. Then full move Spider... Spidey kills away from all threats, then turn to face the most survivors. Yeah. Well, uh, generally, because the survivors try to play um, Spiderling control, they, this doesn't trigger too often. But at the higher levels, it can do, because trying to deal with multiple Spiderlings spawning each turn can get a little overwhelming. And yeah, it's uh, it's a very thematic and very sort of like... It's more of a rat-like thing to devour your own offspring. But uh, spiders are known to eat each other. Females eating the males and so on. Isn't the big part of spider birthing actually the, the newborns eating the mother? Mm, some species, I believe, do that, but not most. Because quite often the, the legs, eggs will just be laid somewhere and the spider wanders off. It depends on the spider, whether it's a wolf spider or a, an orb spider, I think. And then varies, from, again, tarantulas and stuff. But yeah, yeah. It's not not unheard of. The more you know. My entomology's rusty. It's been quite a few years since I worked in entomology. All right, so next up we have the uh, advanced cards. Um, and these are all mood cards. Yep. We have eight of them in the deck. And they all have a, a really they all have really cute art on them. Yeah, it's worth noting every single one of them has the same things just to save time, which is that when they come into play all other moods get discarded and you perform a basic action. So these are like Highlanders. There can only be one in play at a time. All right. So the first one we're going to start with is Frantic Spinning, which is the level one uh, mood it starts in play with. Yep. Uh, and then uh, besides the basic action thing, uh, survivors cannot spend movement as long as one or more Spiderlings are adjacent to them. So Spiderlings tie them down. Yep. Spit silk everywhere. And it has the picture of the two spiderlings shooting out web. Is the guy attached to Spidiculus also spinning out web too? Yeah, yep, yep. The the uh, the puppet is spitting out web. Yeah. So I wonder if that's where Spidiculus normally shoots its web out is through the puppet. Maybe, probably puppet and mouth. Given the spiderlings spit out the mouth. All right. Not like proper spiders who are decent and spit it out their butt, like sensible people. The next mood is uh, feeding time, which is the level two trait, um, not the level two, the level two card that starts in play. Uh, while this is in play, Spiderling actions attack profile gains after damage. Full move the Spiderling directly away from the Spidiculus. Target suffers grab, so uh, Spiderlings are grabbing. Yep. And the picture is the two little Spiderlings with their mouth open, and then the puppet's just kind of like, I don't know what's going on, and just with his mouth hanging open, kind of thing. And it's doing the same action. If you look, the spiderlings have kind of got their arms out in the same kind of grab thing, but it looks different on him. And he does kind of look like maybe he's um, dancing for Michael Jackson's Thriller. If somebody wants to call the Kingsman in, I'm sure we could get something going on. Yeah. All right. So next up we have is the jumping spiders. Jump up, jump up, and get down. Uh, While this is in play, spiderlings gain plus four movement. And uh, I guess there was a spiderling hiding in the bottom because there's not three of them on the picture. Yeah, and that guy's arm looks a little off. That that elbow does not look like where it's supposed to be. 
his 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 left arm's okay, but his right arm is definitely it looks a little atrophied. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Next up is uh, bro- Broadmother. Broodmother. Broodmother. While this is in place, Spiderling's action attack gains profile after damage. Full move the Spiderling towards Spidiculus. And they all are in love in this picture and are happy. Um, and it looks like this guy's arm was fixed. I think it's a different guy. Yeah, he's got hair. The previous one didn't. Or maybe that's Webb. Maybe it is. It's interesting that all the pictures, it's a, a guy being the puppet, not a female survivor. Is there ever a female? Isn't the female survivor on the figure? Yeah, yeah. but I think the maybe the the idea here with the card art is to keep it a little more safe for work. Because if you look, they put a loincloth on him all as well. Well, also the uh, the story event thematically is uh, that it has to be two male rivals that are going against each other, right? Yeah. So maybe. Maybe that's where they're drawing the art from there. I think it's just an interesting choice that the model was a female. Yeah. All right. Up next is Caustic Pheromones. Uh, while this is in play, all Spiderlings attacks profiles gain after damage. Target gains the party token. Party token applies to Spiderlings as well as Spidiculus. Yeah. This can be pretty nasty because it can cause the Spiderlings to kind of chain attack a single person. Um uh, spiderlings are activating after spidiculus so that's like it's not going to pull spidiculus in um and at least not immediately uh but yeah it's uh the first spiderling can bite you get this priority token and then woof they're all in on there and i like this picture it looks like the puppet farted and the spiderlings are kind of dying from it that's that's what that looks like <laughs> sure you just you just can't wait for the frog dog, can you? Oh, frog dog's going to be amazing. <laughs> uh, next up is eight angry legs. Uh, when this attack, when this is in play, spiderling actions profiles gain plus one damage. Pretty straightforward, just nasty. Uh, next up is hallucinogen fangs. Hallucinogenic Hallucinogenic fangs. Uh, oh, this one's really. This profile gains a after damage, which is target gains a random disorder. Yep. So, a couple of notes here. Number one, if you're trying to get a specific disorder, this is one way to do it by keep trying to keep this mood in play. Uh, and the other one is that the almanac from the barber surgeon will make you immune to that after effect because it stops you gaining disorders. And then last up is neurotoxins, which is after damage profile gains bleed one, target gains one bleeding token. Yeah. And this has answered our question about the uh, thousand, uh, 10,000 teeth. 10,000 teeth is definitely for spidiculus because this is the one for the spiderlings. No, the spiderlings have wings in this picture. I, I don't know if they actually have wings or it's just the art, but imagine these guys flying would be very, very scary. They, yeah, they have wings, yeah. It looks like the arch trying to go for, like, a little vampire thing. Like, he's in that little... Yeah. Oh, yes. So, so I yeah, think that, that might be sense, it. Vampires, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he's doing a vampire pose as well. Yeah, vampire in the coffin. Yeah, it's a vampire reference. Spot on. So I, I, I don't know if they actually have wings, or it's just a little flair for the picture. They, they don't. I, I, because I've not seen wings in any of the other pictures. So I'm going to say it's just a bit of flair and fun. All right. So ready to go to the legendary cards. Yeah. So right. 
with the Mahmoods, and one of them is really cool and interesting. Oh, let's do the Mahmoods first, then. Talk about an event. Yeah. Uh, first, we're going to do Meat Mist. When this comes into play, discard all other moods and perform basic action. While this is in play, spiraling actions, attack profiles gain, range 4. Before damage, reduce armor points at rolled hit locations by 2. Which would mean, mm-hmm. even if you roll and dodge one of them, you're still going to lose armor to it. Uh, whenever possible, move spiderlings four spaces away from their target before attacking. Yep. It's very powerful, this one. It's very awkward and threatening and difficult. Um, and you've got to remember that these spiderlings are... This is level three where you're going to encounter this, so they're dealing two damage. Just trying to think of the theme of so, this, like Meat Mist. What, what are they shooting out at you? Who knows? It's so, got to be some kind of spray. It's it's the uh, the water that they do the dirty water hot dogs in. Okay, that makes sense. No, it doesn't make sense at all. There's no hot dogs in Kingdom Death. Uh, Only s- cold ones. The Spidercules runs the hot dog stand in front of Home Depot. Yeah, I don't, you don't exactly. know that reference. Exactly, and then when but, you... Uh, uh, it's, <laughs> it's called Bone Depot. <laughs> but he, he gets mad when you don't buy it. So he sprays you with meat mist. <laughs> oh, oh dear. Alright, I'm going to screw up the pronouncement on this. Autotheus? Yeah, that's not, not bad. It might, it's autothesis. Autothesis. Autothesis, I believe. Alright, uh, another mood card and the Spiderlings uh, profile gains after damage explode. All survivors adjacent to the Spiderlings suffer three damage to three hit locations. Remove the Spiderlings from the showdown board. So they've become little pieces of dynamite. Yep. That's one way to get them off the board. Alright, and then the uh, the very last is uh, animate. Boop boop. Alright, so last survivor to wound in range. Uh, random survivor in range, no target spin. Move and attack. Uh, three speed, two plus accuracy, five damage. After damage, unless another survivor already has it, target gains the stock puppet survivor status card. Then he, uh, ridiculous full moves towards the center of the showdown board. So what is the stock puppet yeah. survivor status card? Uh, oh, well, when you gain this, you must remove your survivor from the showdown board and place them on this card. They are the Spidiculus's new meat puppet. So they get removed from the fight. Uh, if the showdown ends in victory, then you trigger the pup it's embalming event. But if you are the last survivor, no one can save you. You die. Um, so puppet's embalming uh, is a event that you're actually looking to try and trigger but you have to be careful with how you trigger it and get it sorted. So puppets embalming, by the time your body is freed from all the stalk, all of your blood has been replaced. Immediately after the killing blow is stuck, you are cut free, which is a table you roll on, from the monster's forehead stalk. Your eyes roll in your mouth foaming as your fellow survivors frantically attempt to rouse you. If your settlement innovated bloodletting, your fellow survivors treat your head wound with giant leeches, and you get to have the 9 or 10 result on the table without rolling. The 9 or 10 results is what you're after. So, level 3 Spidiculus, if you want to get this and get the benefit of this, you want bloodletting before you go in. Otherwise, you're rolling on the table. On a 1, your body is a mummified husk that hits the ground like a pile of leaves, and you is dead. 
On a two, three, or four, something about you has changed. You exchange your courage and understanding, swapping them over. Uh, you add Skull Eater to the next year on the timeline and gain the following impairment, Marrow Hunger. When Murder or Skull Eater settlements are drawn, this survivor is nominated. Hey, look, guys, Skull Eater and Murder. Yeah. On a five or a six, there's a giant hole in the back of your head. You're terrified to touch. You skip the next hunt and gain the Controllophobia Disorder, which we'll talk about in the next episode. Seven to eight, you feel fantastic, cure all of your disorders and heal all permanent injuries, archive all vermin resources in the settlement, because I assume you eat them. Um, and a nine or a ten, your mind is filled with a rush of strange memories. You think you see faint threads connecting your surroundings. Closing your eyes brings them into focus. You gain a permanent plus one accuracy and the Silk Surgeon's secret fighting art, which we'll talk about in detail in the next episode, because Silk Surgeons are one of the coolest and most interesting parts of this ridiculous expansion but they're quite difficult to get and sort out because you have to face a level three spediculus that does have this, um, the animate attack. You have to be able to have a survivor get hit by it, not get killed and get abducted and then still win the fight with just three survivors on the board. So it's quite a tall order to manage to get a silk surgeon. It's not easy and you're not going to be doing it in the early part of the campaign. Yeah. So, is there any other cards that we need to go over then? Uh, not for the AI deck, um, and I'm not sure how we are for time. But I think we could probably uh, we can probably discuss like in general terms how Spediculus acts on the AI there, which, as you can see, it's very much about spawning its minions, letting its minions do a lot of work, um, moving in with like quick attacks and then getting away, keeping its distance. So. Bows are very effective versus Spediculous. They're very effective versus every monster, but Spediculous in particular. And as we'll find out when we look at the hit location deck, Spediculous does have a, an, another weakness. Are you gonna, you're going to leave it as the, uh, the cliffhanger for everyone, Fen? Of course. Yes. Sounds good to me. So, Josh, is there anything else you wanted to bring up uh, for this session specifically? I, I think that's a good spot to cut it off, and we'll be back in uh, hopefully two weeks to uh, finish this yep. off. So in two weeks' time, we will go through the hit location deck. We will have a quick look at the resources and the different uh, ones in there, the ratios. We'll have a look at Silk Surgery, the Silk Surgeon, uh, Taken, which happens after the showdown, and the various bits of gear. And we'll also spend a bit of time kind of talking about um, the expansion as a whole, um, because I, I do feel like there's some areas this expansion falls short in, and there's some things that just can be tweaked a bit to make it better. Uh, and I think there's a lot of discussion we can have in respect to Spediculous about what was done right and what wasn't done right. Very good. Sounds good to me. Uh, so thank you all for joining us uh, for this episode of the Great Game Hunters podcast, where we go through the ins and outs of the different scenarios in Kingdom Death Monster. Uh, as Fen was saying before, join us in two weeks where we're going to be doing the continuation and finalization of the Spediculous expansion, going through all those things. We're going to wrap it all up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, you, you're worse than I am, Matt, so you, you can't laugh. The low-hanging fruit. You had to snatch it as well. <laughs> what are you talking about? Oh, goodness. Uh, please take a moment to follow us. Uh, we are Twist Gaming. Follow us on Facebook, Twitch, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram. Come chat with us in our Discord channel. Uh, Fen, do you want to go and plug your stuff a bit? 
Uh, certainly, you, you can catch me over at Patreon forward slash Fenpaints or at Instagram.com Fenpaints. Um, and if you are interested in any commission work, uh, you can contact me on either of those or you can contact me on Reddit. I'm forward slash R, um, is it U slash hyphen Fen hyphen. Um, you can even catch me on Board Game Geek as Fen Paints there as well. Um, but primarily my Patreon and my Instagram and my Twitter, which again is forward slash Fen Paints, is where to catch me. And if you guys have seen our Twitch Plays Kingdom Death ongoing campaign that we run, all of the minis that you see painted on our stream are done by none other than Mr. Fen himself. Yes, they were. So big thank you all for joining us this evening. We're going to be signing off right now. Uh, we would like to point out that this stream and all of this week's streams were sponsored by Legend of Korra Pro Bending Arena by IDW, as well as Champions of Hara by Greenbrier Games. Uh, thank you all, and we hope to see you again for all of our upcoming future streams. Signing off for Twist Gaming, I'm Matt. I'm Josh. And I was Fen. You were Fen? Take care, ever. <laughs> he, he was Fen. Yeah, the artist formerly known as Fen. You are now just a symbol. <laughs> yes, yeah, a middle finger. <laughs> and with that, good night, everyone. Good night. Good night.